Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Sobriety Unleashed podcast with me, Simon. And me, Ellen. And today, a special guest, Mandy Manners. Hi, Mandy. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. I'm happy Man- to be here. We, we love having you. Mandy is a friend of both of ours, so it's a real honour to have you here. Mandy is a trauma-informed sobriety and wellbeing coach and a professional trainer, a speaker and author of two books, one of which has just come out and we're going to talk a bit about later on. But Mandy, first of all, tell us your story, your sobriety story. Oh, how long you got? Just the highlights. Highlights. Okay. Uh, highlights. So I've been sober now for five years, but I always say that I've been on the journey for about nine. I think I first logged on to a sober forum back in, I think it was the end of 2012. So um, my, I'd kind of binge drinking party girl growing up in the UK um very much into kind of the rave scene festival scene so quite a lot of you know party drugs and and drinking started drinking when I was 13 I think around that time um yeah I think you know straight away gave me that kind of confidence to sort of socialize and just was rebellion and everyone was doing it um you know kind of everyone in my family drinks everyone around me did so I just didn't see it as anything other than very normal um I had quite a lot of trauma in my teenage years um various sort of things happened uh various me too let's just use that as a broad term to to sort of describe what was going on um and unfortunately I think for a lot of women of um I was talking to someone about this yesterday of our generation just a lot of things just we didn't even really consider were not okay it was just um those incidents and a lot of them when I was drinking but you know significant um sort of um situation happened when I was 19 uh, when I was traveling in Mexico um and I think from that point onwards I abandoned myself in the sense that um I blamed myself for what had happened um and from that point onwards I think my drinking and my drug taking got a lot more kind of nihilistic and um yeah I I didn't really care about myself particularly or what what I was doing or who I was with um again I mean most of my friends were kind of doing the same thing as well to be honest and I think we all kind of bonded um I think we all had quite a lot of trauma and I think we did all trauma bond at that age and just they were my family and the most important people to me. Um, And then I met my husband, my boyfriend, when I was living in Brighton um, in my kind of early 20s when I was 22. Um, And yeah, I think by the age of like 24, I was kind of done. I just had put on a lot significant amount of weight I wasn't feeling good about I didn't feel good in my body it didn't feel like me um so we decided to take a break um from drinking which I absolutely loved um and I think um then I decided to do a year so that was like when I was like 25 um and again loved it and then decided to have a baby we moved to France and you know, felt really positive about kind of living a different life. And then when we arrived in France, the stress of having, you know, being away from home, but also, you know, having a baby brought up a lot of trauma for me. Um, I started drinking again. And from that point was really quite 
problematic really so as soon as I became a mum that was when something just switched in me I think it was you know the stress the overwhelm the the trauma that I hadn't dealt with um and yeah red wine became my kind of best friend and I do think there's a cultural thing too in the sense of like I had that kind of binge drinking background but also that kind of French you know European continental drinking every night with dinner type thing and those two things together just lost all kind of boundaries around it and quite often I hear about young mums and I was the same not young mums but mums of young children it's really quite a lonely place to be and when you've moved abroad as well you amplify that and it really is alcohol becomes your friend yeah yeah and and then I kind of went back to work you know and I was a professor in a university and like I was really sort of being fulfilled in terms of that side of things but then you know I wasn't showing up as a mum as much so then you've got all that guilt and so I just got into that cycle of like you know I'm not good enough I'm not good enough and then alcohol was just the thing that you know took the edge off and then I could blame myself and just became that kind of real self-harm spiral really um and I got pretty ill um in terms of depression like I wasn't sleeping I was relying quite a lot on sleeping tablets and basically just kind of had a big burnout um went to my doctor and he was like I started CBT went on antidepressants and really through just talking I hadn't even considered that like alcohol might be you know a bigger issue than it was and you know so I tried to stop at that point or cut out and then it was pretty difficult really so um I found so baristas that was my first um you know um place I found back in 2012 and just finding women online that were like me you know just kind of drinking a lot on their own and you know not didn't consider themselves an alcoholic had kind of seen that within their environment and couldn't identify with that but knew that it was a problem and that it was problematic and um so yeah I did a year and I was like woohoo I'm fixed you know yay okay I can drink every now and again because you know my my depression's better I've come off antidepressants etc I'm in therapy um and then you know every three months I'd be like I'm I'm done it would like creep up again and I'd be like I can't I can't do this and that went on for another like three years back and forth of just like so exhausted you know putting all those rules on it you know I won't drink on Thursdays I won't drink on you know this this that I'll, I'll only drink beer you know I'll only drink so wine, all of that stuff um so tiring yeah to the point where I just I just had enough we were on holiday in Spain and, and I think it was my my son jumped in the pool and he hit his head on um on the cover of the swimming pool um and I hadn't had a drink I was just sat like next to the pool and I had a glass of wine in my hand and I think there was just something about you know because it's a game of chance right and you you, that's that luck thing just like oh nothing bad happened that's kind of how it felt a lot especially when you're responsible for others just like you know the kids got to bed oh thank goodness um and shaming 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 and and I was just like you know what like that's I, I don't ever want to be in a place where I can't be there for my kids. Um, so that was the first kind of motivation. And then all the therapy and all the, <laughs> all the, all the work that came with yeah. it. And it's quite like 2012, there wasn't the, the sober community like there is now in the last 
what, 12 months, two years, the sober community online has completely taken off, isn't it? Yeah. So where did you find your sober community then? Yeah, well, the so, so Soberist was the first one. And, you know, Lucy Rocker is such a innovator. If it hadn't been for her, you know, I, I really rate her and what she did um, and just sort of understanding that there needed to be an online space. Um, and then when I came back to it, I again, because I've been back and forward so many times, I mean, I know I could have gone back but I just felt like I couldn't be like, here I am again. Um, so I started sort of blogging on Instagram. I just sort of, and I started following quite a lot of people in America at that time. So Annie Grace, um, Jolene Park, and all these people that were talking about this more, the sort of neurobiology and the, the stress and kind of talking about the science side, which I really tapped in at that point. Um, and so I was, I met Kate, who I wrote both the books with um, on Soberistas, and we were like, you know, online buddies. And so I said to her, would you like to do a podcast together? Um, there wasn't one in the UK at that time, really, that talked about kind of um, British experience of drinking. Uh, so we set up a podcast called Love Sober. And um, and yeah, so we ran that together for four years. That You know, there's a brilliant community for women. Um, I think there's like, 180 episodes that we did of the podcast together over like four years we wrote something to aspire together. to simon yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't you have like half about half a million downloads of it or something crazy? yeah 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 so over that now so yeah over half a million downloads yeah. that's and... amazing that's what we're aiming for yeah we are <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah and again i mean it has it's changed so much and and at that point i tapped into an american canadian organization called she recovers which is a women's recovery movement and they became my kind of home my second time home and so I've got some really good kind of sober sisters in the states and in Canada and and how important was that to your sobriety huge yeah huge and I I was actually talking to a client about this today um in the sense of belonging and and it takes some time for people to kind of understand and people kind of sharing or being vulnerable or what that looks like but actually in the end I missed belonging to the sober community like there was a longing in me that I missed it like it felt special it felt something that was mine it felt something that was positive it felt something that I could keep for me and so every time I went back to drinking even though I was trying to fit the mold and I was trying to just be you know normal or you know hide away I just missed that real sense of people that saw me for me and that I could show up and just talk about things so that was one of the things that really drew me back in the end I was just like I just I miss yeah being able to be authentic really I think that sober community as well it can also tap into the rebellious part of us and you mentioned rebellion earlier and it definitely did for me. I felt like this is something different. It's going yeah. against society. And I love being a part of it. It yeah. feels good. Like yeah, a kind absolutely. of, like a movement. Yeah, yeah. And and I, that absolutely was one of the biggest sort of things I needed to shift in my mindset because I'd been such a sort of rebellious soul and, you know, and my whole life had been around kind of hedonism and, you know, just, yeah, you know, going against the status quo. Um once I understood that side of it and I was like actually and really looking through that lens like actually you're doing the same thing as everyone else and no one's questioning it yeah and you're waking up in the morning feeling like shit sorry yeah. you're live I apologize sorry <laughs> um 
you know, it just really helped me. I was just like, oh yeah, I like that. You know, yeah. I want to be with the tattoo crew and like, you know, sort of going and just, yeah, living life, experiencing life in a yeah. more profound way um, rather than just numbing it all out. Um, you know, I wanted that rich experience, which sometimes is not great, you know. When you're no, in the sometimes it. it is not but <laughs> mostly it is it's yeah. difficult it's an uncomfortable place to be but of course now you help um, other people on their sobriety journey and you're a trauma-informed sobriety coach so how is that different than the normal sobriety coach yeah, what does that mean trauma-informed um trauma-informed means that you work with the understanding that most people have had some experience that has had an impact on their nervous system. Mm -hmm. So trauma is quite a heavy loaded word, but actually you could rename it chronic stress or you could rename it a dysregulated nervous system. It's the sense that, you know, most people that are coming into the room have had some experiences that have dysregulated them. Mm -hmm. And so part of your role, um, if you're a trauma informed coach and all coaches should be, um, is to be that safe person in the room. So it's letting the client lead. It's never, you know, telling them what to do. It's respecting breaks. It's taking it at the pace they want to take it. It's, you know, always handing back control. It's doing a lot of work on the nervous system, you know, feeling grounded, feeling safe, um, understanding. Yeah. It's just to honor the process of the person, um, because that might, you might be the first, safe person they've had in their life yeah um, <clears throat> whatever that might look like and, and just understanding you know that trauma could be bullying you know it could be growing up you know with you know, with bullying and fat phobia or racism or it could yeah. be you know childhood abandonment many many things it doesn't think, just be that I love that kind of renaming it to chronic stress or re- because trauma quite often people feel that their trauma is not as bad as other people's yeah. trauma so it keeps them stuck in not feeling like they're the worthy of doing the work of somebody yeah. else because theirs was worse well actually there's lots and lots of experiences we go through that have the nervous system completely out of whack yeah I mean essentially we live in a traumatic world right because we're we're nothing is balanced so you know we're constantly on high adrenaline high dopamine high um you know fast fashion fast food um you know social media social media all of those things so a lot of that is is very difficult for our nervous system to be able to process um so something that's really important that's what you know certainly i use alcohol for right was just to bring down the noise bring it down yeah because my nervous system my system not only did I have you know significant complex PTSD from big you know an event trauma but I also had all of those other things of not feeling belonging or you know not knowing about boundaries and then my kids you know not knowing the limitations and feeling like I had to do everything for everyone and caretaking everyone and all of those things. Um, So once you kind of can work from that and understand that, you know, life is complex for people um, and they need to be held in a way that they feel empowered by the process, um, which is why, you know, therapy has its place 100%. um, But personally for me, I, 
respond very well to coaching because it's strength-based and it's looking future focused and I think you know you can get to a point where it's like I know why (laughs) now what do I do with it kind of thing yeah totally we as Mandy said we're streaming live on YouTube like we do almost every week um so if you want to ask mandy a question you know you've got a trauma-informed coach here what better opportunity just put it in the comments um i won't read your name out as discussed last week and somebody said mandy do you feel it's important to establish that trauma-informed coaching differs from therapy and what is the difference exactly Mm. which you sort of touched on but maybe a bit more into that like is is it therapy is it similar yeah no not, not at all it's um you know, therapy is when you're looking at healing past traumas, right? So you're looking at the, you know, what happened, the why, why is it showing up for you now? What does it look like? And getting into that story, whereas coaching is we're looking at, you know, what's in the present and where we want to go into the future. Looking at, you know, life through a trauma-informed lens is, is purely understanding contextually and being aware that there might be things behind Mm -hmm. and so you know understanding that if they keep going back into their past story you know what what support might they need um and and purely just recognizing that you know for example if they had you know poor attachment when they were young um, and there was a sense of feeling unheard or unloved um, or, um, you know, not supported, then, you know, you're making sure that you're careful to respect that and honour that for that person in the room. You know, the thing with coaching now can be a bit like, go, 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 you know, positive, let's do this. You can do it in six six weeks get sober you know blah 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 and it's like for a lot of people there's it's gonna it's a process and it's gonna take time yeah yeah that's good yeah I like that yeah Uh, there's a lot uh, to unpack isn't there yeah (laughs) I mean Dr Gabor Mate who's written some brilliant books and I'm sure you know of him um he says that there's no addiction without some degree of trauma Mm -hmm. and whenever I say it I, I'm always careful because there will always be somebody watch, listening to the podcast or watching a video who thinks, well, I haven't had any trauma. What are your thoughts on that statement? There's no addiction without trauma or some trauma. Yeah, it's it's complex because there's substance. It depends whether you're looking at substance use or, um, you know, process, you know, addictions such as gambling or whatever so there's there's those two things so there's the the chemical element of you know how quickly something is going to enter into your blood there's the genetic element that you know what what's going on in your brain and the the, the genetic kind of disposition Um, but certainly another part of that is you know and studies show that the propensity and the likeliness of developing you know, any sort of addiction or problematic relationship with something is going to be higher if you are dysregulated in your nervous system. So it's that added layer. And that's what he means. Like for him, trauma isn't just this. It's it's stress. It's, um, you know, it's growing up in food poverty, um, you know, in scarcity, all of those things, they impact how safe we feel in the world 
And so when you don't feel safe, then you're going to try and find ways in order for you to feel connected and feel safe. And, and that's essentially what all what all addictions are. It's attaching to something um, rather than feeling attached and grounded in yourself. And actually, and what happened in, in my experience was the trauma events that happened in my life. I felt like they they gave me an oversensitive fight, flight or freeze yeah. response, which is exactly what you're saying. You know, my yeah. cortisol and adrenaline levels, yeah. they were out of whack. I'd yeah. have a reaction like I'd just run into a saber-toothed tiger from, yeah. from my tax return coming through the letter, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's, you know, something that you can do you know, and I do do with clients is, is psychoeducation. So I'm not, I'm not healing the trauma and I'm not like looking at it. That's not my job. I'm not a therapist, but I can talk about, you know, the different responses to stress, right? So, you know, fight, flight, freeze, flop, you know, disassociation, what that looks like. And when someone can build that own awareness and they're like, oh, wow, okay. You know, I need to actually breathe, come back into myself yeah. as I'm going into that state. And when I go into that state, it's a massive trigger um, and I'm more likely to drink. It's just, you know, sort of sprinkling more information into the picture, really. Yeah, yeah. which can start to take away the power of, yeah. the, of the problem. And yeah. I think the more you learn, the more equipped you are. Yeah. What would you say to someone listening who sort of knows that they've had some levels of trauma in their life, maybe a, an emotionally absent parent or a, a divorce when they were really young? Or, mm. I mean, their parents got divorced, not them. Um, <laughs> like, well, uh, and they kind of have a sense that their drinking might be a, around that. What, what would your sort of advice be to them? Um, well, certainly when, you know, when clients come to me or, you know, when they get in contact, one of the first questions I'll ask is like, have you had any therapy? You know, have you had any support in you know those experiences right um because that is part of the the healing process to talk to a counselor talk to a therapist talk to your doctor um and then the support around you know getting a coach that that is trauma-informed having those conversations you know shame dies when it's shared in safe spaces yeah. so so much of what we carry is shame mm -hmm. you know for whatever else we've we've processed that concept that we have to be perfect you know we can't make mistakes and you know it's our fault for whatever it is so once you're in the room with you know a loving coach who's gonna you know just have your back and cheer you on um you know that can do wonders for your self-esteem and, and help you to kind of move forward with that and you know a lot of the work is around self-compassion it is around forgiveness and just you know sort of talking to that part of yourself through journaling through you know exercises of like you know really you know what was going on for me really and so you've just released the second book, haven't you? And does a lot of this work that we've been talking about go over onto the book? Look at it. It looks amazing. Look how pretty. It is. It's so gorgeous. Obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't oh, yeah, see. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you missed it's that. Love yourself. Uh, love your sober year. Love your it, sober year. Yeah. It's a lovely so, blue. It matches my eyes. And mine. And Mandy's eyes. And yeah. my top. And Ellen's <laughs> top. Yeah. You know, it's a great looking book. And I understand my copy is in the post. It and is. Mine. And it is. Yeah. So, yes. So um, essentially it's, we based it around the seasons. So, you know, spring, it's a year 
of you know your sober life you could be sober already and you're like wanting to look at other areas of change or you're wanting to sustain your sobriety or you could be starting out and you want to you know start this journey so um it's full of journaling questions um and every every season we kind of look at one area of development so perhaps you know in spring it's around growth in summer it's around action autumn it's around letting go and winter's around rest so those are the kind of things that we we know that people need and then within each one you're looking at um the emotional toolkit you're looking at the stress cycle you're looking at um intentions you're looking at resources um there's a seasonal planner so each season you have the same themes Mm -hmm. but they're just sort of different areas um and we wanted to make it super like a gift like it's highly illustrated it's really you know it's got gold on the outside it looks beautiful Um, it looks tactile just the type of book I would pick up in the bookshop yeah so we wanted to make it you know something that really felt like a, a gift and time for you so you can just sit down so it's in week sections you can just sit down and look at what that that is look at the journaling questions you know work through it at your time um yeah and you know Kate and I um come from quite different um angles she's if you're looking at yin and yang she's very much the kind of feminine energy very creative very blue sky thinking whereas I'm a much more kind of that masculine like details and science and stuff like that so I think it it was quite difficult to to write uh, as a process um but I think we managed to write something really kind of good because of it because we had to just make sure both of those elements were present and made sense you know so you've got that bit of sparkle and that bit of kind of um wisdom and and kind of light as well as the kind of facts and the the logic behind it Sounds amazing. Um, Simon, have we got any questions coming in for Mandy? Uh, we've got... No, we haven't got any more questions. So, yeah, post away if you're watching live and ask some... Just stick the questions in the comments. You might have some about the book. I definitely have. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to know... It, so is it kind of... Can you journal in the book? If someone's looking for a journal, would it be an appropriate thing to get? Or, or is um, it... You, it is I mean it is a uh, it's a guided journal but you you need a, your other special book because we haven't got space for it inside just because I I actually really don't like writing in my books <laughs> yeah I know what you mean <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah I mean each week you have journaling prompts around what you've read um so the the intention is that you spend the week kind of looking at and then journal around the the concepts and and do the exercises with it so that's brilliant so we we have uh, another question um broadly speaking mandy do you see a correlation between the magnitude of trauma and the level of addiction i.e the worse the trauma the worse the addiction uh that is a great question um there's different elements that um that play into it so um i think well there's a yes and no um i think it's more about how long you have sat with that unprocessed um and also kind of the availability or the you know the length of time that you've been within that behavior 
Um, so I don't necessarily think it's it's the magnitude of the trauma because essentially all trauma is the same, you know, because it, it's not what happens to you. It's it it's the imprint of that on your nervous system and on your body. So there isn't one that is worse than another. It's just, you know, how you feel at that time, you know, how it it, it imprints on your your body and on your heart and on your soul and on in your brain. Um and whether it's processed, whether it's heard, you know, so if, you know, for me, for example, I, I didn't tell anyone what happened to me when I was 18 um, until I was 28, 30, 38, so 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, I said to my friend at the time, I don't ever want to talk about this again. Please don't tell anyone, uh, you know, bless her. She had to carry that for 20 years too. Um, so something like that, you know, is, it's going to go quite deep into my system. Right? Yeah. So, um, and it has a physiological response, doesn't it? Stress and trauma. You can feel it. It's yeah. something that happens within the body. It, it, this is not something that's just in the mind. It, it has a physiological response. Yeah. And you go through different uh, levels. So, you know, you sort of starting with that fight flight, as you mm-hmm. say, so that kind of anger or that I'm going to run away from this. And then, you know, progresses to that kind of free state where, you know, it's just kind of, I, I don't have any capacity to, to deal, you know, so, and people have a tendency to get stuck in, you know, one, um, you know, so maybe people are more anxious than they are depressed or whatever. Yeah. So maybe that anxious is that flight, fight or flight rather than the depressed, which is that like freeze, freeze from. And some people are, their drug of choice may be related to that, you know, because if you're looking for opioids or alcohol, you know, that's sort of pushing you down, right? Yeah. Um, and so if you're looking for amphetamines or, you know, things like that, then that's that pulling you up. So that that's also you trying to manage and bring yourself back into sort of, you know, a safety and connection. That's what we're looking for is that homeostasis state. So what we're trying to do is adaptive ways of trying to like find our balance, if that makes sense. And do you suggest that people remove the substance before they start doing the work? Oh, you're a mind reader, Ellen. Someone's actually just asked that question. What is Mandy's perspective on having some sober time before getting deep into examining trauma? Simon suggested holding off and I wish I'd waited until I found support. Meanwhile, I've sure learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, And I I don't know whether I have an absolute opinion on it, to be honest. I think... um, I think both need to be looked at. I don't think you can really start looking at what's going on for for you until you, you know, have some abstinence or some sobriety. But I also know that for some people that's, they're not capable of doing that. Right. Mm. So, you know, if you're looking through a harm reduction perspective, some people cannot get to that point of abstinence before they've been held in that safe space. So I think, you know, it's whatever works for the, I don't think you should, if if you, if you want to go there and that's where you're being led, then, you know, I, yeah. not one size fits about anything, just yeah. don't resonate with me. I think it's just, you've got to go with, with what's right for that individual person. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think you're, you're right as well. If somebody is still, for example, drinking and they do some trauma work and realize 
that they're actually drinking because it's in relation to their toxic relationship with their father, suddenly alcohol doesn't seem quite so appealing. And generally they'll sort of think, actually, do I really want this? Um, Where, but then equally, I think if somebody can have a break, it just puts you in a more stable and rational state of mind and karma and able to process fully um, what comes up through, through doing the trauma work. But yeah, I I agree. And on the point, um, I nearly said somebody's name there on the point that the person made uh, about the, the worse the trauma is, does it mean the worse the addiction? Mm. I think there's been some studies done on it where they've had twins who grew up in like equally sort of traumatic and um, emotionally neglectful households. And it's interesting how they both sort of different, you know, one might become depressed, one might become highly anxious and the, or, or one might not be very badly affected and the other will. So it's, I think probably the science isn't there yet in terms of exactly how like the same trauma affects different people. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's about the, you know, that reconnection and that reattachment, right? So if one of those had a really good best friend or one of Mm -hmm. those had, you know, they were into sport and they had a gym coach that looked after them, you know, that could shift things for them in the sense of that, that the other child didn't. Um, and you know people can watch a a car accident and walk away with completely different responses it really is it's just it's not what happens it's just the you know how your body imprints it how stress and how I mean we talk about shaking don't we that's one of the things that you can do right if you're like feeling really kind of angry or you've got a lot going on you feel that fizzy feeling is to literally just shake it out or dance or whatever because you see that with animals, you know, when, I mean, we've been trying to train our dog, for example, she hates the harness. So I'm giving up on that. I can't do it. So I'm giving up on the harness, but every time you take it off, she goes, <sighs> yeah, shakes it's, it off. Taking the it, off the trauma. Yeah. It works as well because yeah. I remember I was doing a talk in, um, it was in Denver and Jolene Park, who you mentioned, yeah. I was so nervous about standing on the stage and she took me up to the stage. She held my hand and then she said to me, Simon, shake your hands, shake your feet. And I thought this woman's mad. And, <laughs> and I did it and it really helped. Not only did, was I now used to the stage I'd be walking onto, it regulated my nervous system. Yeah. And I was, before I went on stage the next day, I was shaking and shaking yeah. and, and it worked yeah a wedding ring flew off but it... <laughs> well I trained with her so one of my yeah one of the trainings that I did was with Jolene so yeah there's a lot of um the stuff that she she taught me which has been incredibly useful in terms of that yeah just coming grounding taking your feet off you, you take your feet off <laughs> your shoes and socks off and yeah. going, you know putting your feet in the grass you know that can starve off a trigger yeah you know, because you're just being you're you're concentrating you're mindful you're in the moment and you're you're actually in your body rather than just being activated and you know and yeah so i mean the big the big thing for me in all of this was that everybody had walk on music at this event and jolene had picked some weird Bon Jovi song or something. And, <laughs> Nothing and weird I, about I, Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah, no, but I managed to convince her to change her walk-on music to Jolene by Dolly Parton, and she did. So when she walked on, it was Jolene. I, it was just that was the highlight of the whole weekend for me. Oh, oh, right. Totally off topic. <laughs> And we've, we've also got someone who's, what, who's uh, watching in Australia and it's two o'clock in the morning, but they're glad to be here. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. So, Mandy, you just kind of mentioned a little bit there about the fact that you did your training with Jolene. And, but you now train coaches as well, don't you? 
where did I that did, come from yeah. and how important is that in the industry which I have an opinion on this but I'd love to hear yours yeah well we've had a few cups of teas over, we over have, this haven't we um yeah so now um Kate, Kate trained with the the coaching academy which is a you know very well established um coach training provider for life coaching they think they've been going for about 40 years um and they approached Kate to ask if you know she off the once we published the first book um you know would she create a you know cpd a, a day's training around kind of addiction um and behavior change and then kind of through conversations both of us have a background in teaching i you know taught for 10 years kate used to be a teacher as well it kind of developed in actually there's a real need to you know have quality training out there for people in this area and you know at that time yes Kate and I could have started training coaches ourselves um, but we wanted that you know accreditation from an exterior body we wanted that kind of checks and balances on us Um, and so we wrote a program it's called the addictive behaviors coaching program and it's um, starts next week actually um, for this year Um, and it's looking so another thing that was really keen for them, they didn't want to go down the re- addiction recovery coaching line. They wanted to keep it open and they wanted to talk about, you know, how addictive everything is these yeah. days and stress and stuff like that. So it isn't just around, you know, alcohol or drugs. It's around, you know, mobile phones, shopping. So we look at the neurobiology of addiction, what it is, the habit loop, you know, how it develops um, and then a lot around kind of holistic um, tools for well-being. So positive psychology, science of happiness, um, you know, flow um, or wonder all the things that we need to get that elevated state. And um, yeah, it's, you know, we keep it really small. There's always a small group under 10 um, because we really just want to not only kind of help those coaches really to find their niche and what they want to do, but also to support them and also for them to know, you know, safeguarding for them to know the differences between coaching and therapy and really just make sure that, yeah, we're putting safe people out to help others. Um, Yeah. So it's um, amazing like a real blessing to, to be able to do that. It It worries, it it worries me. Sorry. I've seen lots of people spring up, particularly on social media over the last yeah. few years, who I'm sure Ellen was going to say the same sort of thing. Exactly. <laughs> and they've kind of, you know, they, they've grown in popularity. They get thousands of followers because they share their very personal story, which is brilliant. But mm-hmm. then they sort of morph into becoming a sobriety coach. Mm-hmm. And actually, a lot of them haven't got any qualifications, haven't done any formal training. And it frightens me. It worries yeah. me that people are getting coached. But, you know, they look up to these individuals. They think that, you know, that they've got something to offer in terms of their story. But actually, in terms of coaching properly and a safeguarding knowing how to listen knowing how to respond they, they haven't done any training and it, I mean what's your thoughts on that yeah well I think something that you said there was really key is that they look up to these people so there's a there's a a a, a hierarchy within the relationship that you shouldn't have when you're working in this 
industry right you know as a coach we are two humans within the room Mm -hmm. um and there is no hierarchy um and and especially you know from a trauma-informed perspective a lot of these people do have attachment issues or they do have you know um sort of yeah worries about making friends or you know all of those things that comes along and so to have that kind of idealization of someone um can be quite detrimental to people because it's about empowering them to be their best selves and to find their own tools um not to listen to someone um and unfortunately yeah we've seen cases where then they've drank or they've you know whatever and yeah um and yeah I mean it's amazing that people feel so passionate about everything I was the same right you know I the last time I you know the final time I quit which was like five years ago you know okay I'd been on the journey for like five you know nearly five years but about four months into that I set up the podcast (laughs) you know so I you know that I have to honor the fact that I was in that space too I was just so excited to like just be and give back and you know keep myself sober and you know all of those things Mm -hmm. but as a professional working in the space um I think yeah we need more regulation for sure yeah yeah 100 percent yeah somebody's quoted you Mandy and put putting safe people out sorry putting safe people out to help others so crucial Mm yeah I like that when you said that, actually. I thought, yeah, that's brilliant, putting safe people out there. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, they're not all. No, they're not at all. It is a very bizarre um, bizarre time, kind of. Sobriety has, it's like the new trend, isn't it? It's like the new veganism. Um, however, it's quite a dangerous place as well at the moment with social media, I think. Yeah, and, you know, alcohol specifically is one of the only drugs that you can die from, you know, detoxing, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's in that sense, it's, it's more dangerous than cocaine or, or crack. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like there are specific things you need to know around someone in terms of how much that they're using, how, how long they've been using for, what it looks like, whether they can, you know, safely just stop like that mm-hmm. without going into withdrawal. So you know, it's, it's a tender thing, right? And yeah. people are very vulnerable. So yeah, it, it needs really careful looking after. You know? It does. Do you think it's going to shift though, that so it does become a regulated industry or not? So. Yeah, well, I'm trying to do my bit to, you know, put some standards in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hope it does. I think it needs it. Mm. Yeah. And also for the coaches, right? Like, you know, when you're a therapist, you have to have supervision. You have to talk to someone on a regular basis about your clients, about how you're doing within the space. And you don't have to do that as a coach, which is just, you know, we don't. So I see people, I'm like, man, you're super dysregulated. Are you okay? (laughs) You know, like who's looking after you? Um, so maybe that's another business idea, but I don't know. And also, I think I think anybody who's considering t- starting work with a coach should, you know, just a word of advice is to check their credentials. Yeah. Um, don't don't be afraid to even ask for a reference or two. You know, if somebody yeah. said to me, Simon, can you give me a reference of a couple of people you've worked with? I'd check with those people that yeah. they're happy for me to share their details, and I'd pass them on. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think a good coach would be willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do, no, just check check and check again because there, there's it's not just like with anything like choosing a counselor choosing a therapist there's good ones there's bad ones and then there's yeah. ones who are 
you know, you probably they're okay, but you might not get much from. So um, exactly, there's some that you won't click with. I think that yeah. is, it's not one size fits all with it. It's, you, it does just because you've gone to one coach and they are not for you, doesn't mean that another coach won't work for you. Yeah, and I think that's the best advice like I was ever given because again, you know, I'm a recovering people pleaser as many of us are. Yeah, like, I just want to be, you know, make everyone happy and make sure everyone's having a nice time to the detriment of myself. Um, and you know, and I've had doctors that weren't right for me. I've had therapists that weren't yeah. right for me. And it wasn't until someone said, like, you you can tell them, you can stop this relationship and yeah. at any time. I was like, oh you know can I yeah like I can find another doctor like I found another doctor and it was completely different experience yeah yeah that's good advice um the quick question here is it the trauma we've been through that makes you addicted to a crutch or is it the addictive nature of the drug itself I think it's a bit of both that would have been my answer (laughs) (laughs) I think it is as well yeah because there's again there's the chemical like there's a chemical element to you know what um is in alcohol and how quickly it goes into the blood and how quickly that sets off a dopamine response in the brain um but that is all going to be heightened if someone's got trauma yeah yeah exactly so and then like alcohol can work on two levels there's the level of numbing it out and then there's the dopamine and the that sort yeah. of do it again do it again there's the yeah. addictive nature so it's yeah. got all these components um it's almost like alcohol kind of creates the perfect temptation for you depending on your yeah. i was going to say weaknesses but depending on your stuff yeah. it will kind of it will sort of tickle the boxes it definitely did for me yeah. um what else someone else said should we ask who is providing supervision to a coach so if you were coaching with someone would that be a, an appropriate question to ask you you could do yeah 100 percent um that, that yeah it might ruffle some feathers because yeah. a lot a lot of coaches <laughs> don't get supervision um because yeah me i'm supervising myself <laughs> yeah um and 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 that's partly uh because there aren't that many like so there is, there are very very good coaches that are looking for supervision but actually it's quite hard to find because it's not something that is obligatory but certainly like ask for uh testimonials ask mm. for you know um for their credentials who have they trained with all of those things yeah and they also put alternatively should we be checking that our coach has supervision would most coaches have clinical supervision which you just kind of covered there um someone else said would you recommend love yourself sober for someone who is already sober uh yes so love yourself show us the book well that's the that's the first one the uh, yellow love yourself sober is that one oh, yeah the yellow one is oh i'm thinking again the yellow one um so that was written a couple of years ago um and yeah it's it's a self-care guide to alcohol free living for busy mums because both kate and i are mums um but you know it's not just for mums it's for anyone that's in a caregiving role uh, essentially um and yeah it's good for when you're stopping and and there's lots and lots of coaching exercises in that one and the new one love your sober year um is more um around sustainability and looking at all the things you know that you need in sense of looking after your stress looking after your body um looking after your emotions all of those things but intentionally they're written for both audiences and where can people buy the book, Mandy? 
anywhere, Waterstones, Amazon, All good bookshops. They're available good in good bookshops. Yeah. And where can people find you? Um, I am at Mandy Manners Coach on Instagram and mandymanners.com. That's your coaching. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we, yeah, we haven't got any other comments. Thank you so much for coming on, Mandy. It's been amazing. Oh, thanks for yeah, having thank me. Thank you very much. I love catching up with you. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully you can come, come on again soon and give us some more insights. It's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, we will see you all again next week. I think we're doing the last one of the season next week. We so are indeed. Yeah. We'll see, see you guys then. Uh, uh.